0: Now, this morning, I'm going to finish our series that we've been having on the life story of Jonah. And today, I want to begin by kind of recapping where we've been the past three weeks. I want to begin to kind of share some of the things that we've learned the past three weeks, especially for those of you that are maybe tuning in to this series for the very first time. Now, most of you know that Jonah was a guy that was swallowed by a big fish, (laughs) And that's kind of what we know about Jonah. But Jonah was also one of God's prophets. He was one of those guys that God used to speak for him, to be his mouthpiece to other people for him. And one day, God came to Jonah and he said this, go to the city of Nineveh and tell them that I'm about to judge them, I'm getting ready to judge them for their wickedness. Tell them that. But you know what? Instead of Jonah obeying God's will for his life, Jonah ran in the opposite direction of Nineveh. I mean, if Nineveh was here, Jonah went this way. He went in the opposite direction of God's will for his life. And so he went to this city called Joppa, and there he bought a ticket and he boarded a ship that was going to go in the opposite direction of God's will for his life. In fact, he went toward the city of Tarshish. And this city was a city that was 2,500 miles in the opposite direction of Nineveh, the opposite direction, once again, of God's will for his life. But folks, we kind of all know the truth is this. No matter where you run, no matter how far you run from God's will for your life, you can never outrun God. And you can never go to a place where God cannot see you. So God saw Jonah board that ship. God saw Jonah sail out to sea. So God did something. God sent a windstorm and such a huge wave storm, it looked like that ship would never survive, that it would fall apart, be torn apart by the waves. And the sailors, now these were professional sailors, the sailors were so scared that they began to fall on their knees and cry out to their gods. But nothing changed because we know that there's only one and true, one true God. And so the sailors, what did they do? Well, they went down to the bottom of the ship. They went down below deck because they knew Jonah had another god. And they found Jonah there asleep, and they commanded him to call upon his God. And so Jonah, when he came above deck, he saw the wind, he saw the waves. He then admitted that he had caused the problem. He admitted that he was running away from the will of God for his life. And so the sailors said, Jonah, what do we do? Then what do we do to calm the storm on this sea? And Jonah said, throw me into the sea, and it will immediately calm. Well, the sailors, they they didn't know what to do. They didn't really want to throw Jonah into the sea. But finally and reluctantly, the sailors threw Jonah into the sea, and immediately the sea became calm. And the sailors, what did they do? Immediately, immediately. They fell to their knees, and they worshiped Jonah's God, the one and only true God who's in control of the wind and the waves. And for, th- for three whole days, Jonah had a whole different thing take place in his life. And then if you know, if you've read about Jonah's life, you know the next thing that happened is that as soon as Jonah lands into the water, then dun 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 Long comes this big fish and swaddles Jonah into his belly. And for three whole days and nights, Jonah floats there in what I would say would probably be the stinking belly of a big fish. Can't imagine what all was in there, but here he is in that stinking belly of the fish. Talk about Discomfort. Jonah is trapped, nothing he can do, no place that he can go. Maybe that sounds kind of familiar with our situation with COVID today, trapped. Nothing we can do, no place that we can go. So he is there. But finally, the wind and the wave and the fish storms caused Jonah to do something. It caused Jonah to once again look up to God. It caused Jonah to consider obeying God's will for his life. And there in the belly of the fish, he committed to obey God. There in the belly of the fish, he committed to go to Nineveh and proclaim God's word to the Ninevites. Then the Bible says that the fish opens its mouth, and get this, the Bible actually says this, it vomits Jonah up onto dry land. You talk about discomfort once again. There he is on dry land covered with vomit. And then Jonah, the Bible says, takes off towards Nineveh and after three days of walking, he arrives at the gates of this great city of Nineveh. So imagine there he is, huge, huge city. He's standing there at his gates. He takes a deep breath, knows what he's gonna say and then he walks into this great city of Nineveh. And for three days, he walks around the streets saying, 40 more days, and Nineveh will be overthrown. 40 days, guys, and it's going to be over for you. And the people and the king, guess what? They believe his words. They believe his words are from God. And the people fall on their knees. They repent of their sinful, evil, violent ways. And when God saw that they turned from their evil ways, God shows them compassion. He relents, and he does not bring upon them judgment and calamity, which he had threatened. I don't know about you, but say, wow, 120,000 people immediately fall and worship God. Listen, the truth is this. When we obey God's will for our lives, when we go where God wants us to go, when we do what God wants us to do, God will use us in incredibly great ways. And great things will happen. Greater things than we ever dreamed will happen when we obey God's will for our lives. So the question is, can you imagine now how Jonah is feeling after all that's taken place? He's been in the wind. He's been in the waves. He's been in a a belly of a fish for three days. He's been vomited up on shore. Three days walking to Nineveh three days walking through Nineveh, can you imagine how he's feeling at this point when this takes place? I mean, this is the guy who runs from God, but he gets grace from God. This is the guy who's tossed into the stormy sea, but he still gets grace from God. Doesn't die, gets grace. This is the guy who spends three days in the belly of a fish, but gets grace from God. He then goes to Nineveh, speaks God's word, and gets grace from God. I mean, those violent, bloodthirsty Ninevites could have torn Jonah to pieces. But instead, 120,000 people hear him, believe his words are from God, repent of their sins, and they worship God. So the question is, can you imagine how humbled Jonah must have been that God used him to cause 120,000 people to repent of their sins and worship God? How humbled he must have been that God used him, even though he initially disobeyed God's will for his life. The question is can you imagine how humbled and excited Jonah must have been? I mean, can, can you imagine seeing this kind of response to your ministry or to something that God calls you to do? I mean, Jonah should have been dancing in the streets how God had used him and given grace to him and how he had blessed him. He should have been dancing and celebrating in the streets, but he wasn't. He wasn't. Instead, Jonah was hopping mad in the streets. Take a look at this scripture. It says, but Jonah was greatly displeased and became angry. What? Jonah, don't you... Don't you see what just happened? 120,000 people heard you turn from their sins and turn back to God and began to worship your God. Jonah, this is a a huge win. I mean, Jonah, what's your deal? Why are you so angry? I mean, if this kind of thing happened today, I mean, Jonah would be booked at every pastor's conference around the world. (laughs) Jonah, how did you do this? How did you get that kind of response to your ministry? I mean, if this happened today, Jonah would be asked to speak around the world. He would be on the cover of some Time magazine. He would probably be given an option and offered a movie option by Mel Gibson or somebody, right? I mean, this is a phenomenal thing that God used him to do. But Jonah was not a happy camper about the response of the people of Nineveh. Jonah was not happy that they listened to him that they repented of their sin. Instead, Jonah was downright angry about them turning to God and worshiping God. So what did angry Jonah do next? Take a look at this. The Bible says that he prayed to the Lord. Now, Jonah praying at this moment is really interesting to me because if you look at the whole account of Jonah's experience, he only prayed twice, two times. That's it, two times. First, the first time he prayed was when he was washed into the belly of a fish. I <laughs> mean, that caused me to pray, amen? Washed into the belly of the fish. He, he was done. He thought it was, life was over. There was nothing he could do. There was no place to go. He was trapped, and so he prayed. So my question to you this morning is this. Do you only pray when tragedy strikes? Do you only pray when you're feeling washed up Do you only pray when you feel like you're trapped? Well, then the second time he prayed was when he was angry. The second time he prayed was when he was upset with God's plan of grace for the people of Nineveh. The question is, do you only pray when you're upset? Do you only pray when you don't understand God's plan? Do you only pray when you don't understand what God is doing? I mean, is that the extent of your relationship with God? You only pray when you feel trapped or when you feel upset with God's plan? You see, folks, that's where Jonah was. He's upset. He's angry. So he prays to the Lord. Oh, Lord, is this not what I said when I was still at home? Lord, said Jonah, this is why. This is why I was so quick to run away because, God, I knew that you are a gracious and compassionate God. God, I knew that you're slow to anger. I knew that you're abounding in love. I knew that you're a God who relents from sending calamity. In other words, God, I knew that if I went to Nineveh and I told them what you wanted me to tell them, that you'd be a God of compassion and you wouldn't destruct them. You wouldn't destroy them. So, Lord, that's why I ran, because I knew that you'd give grace to these people that I cannot stand. So now, Lord, this is what Jonah prays. Now, Lord, take my life, for it's better for me to die than to live. Folks, listen, Jonah is angry about the people's response. But Jonah is also angry with God for showing them grace. He just can't deal with it. And so he says, just leave me alone, God let me die right here. It's kind of like Jonah saying, God, if you're going to show grace to people who were known to stretch their enemies between horses until their bodies came apart. God, if you're going to show grace to people who used to take their knives and fillet people while they were still alive. God, if you're going to show grace to these violent, wicked people who used to behead people and then give the head to one of their friends and make them carry that head throughout the city. If you're gonna show grace to these kind of people, so wicked, so violent, just leave me alone and let me die. Now, there's no doubt that Nineveh was was a sick, evil city. No doubt. So Jonah is saying, God, I can't believe that you would ever have compassion on people like this. I'm thankful you had compassion on me. I'm thankful that you gave me a second chance. But Nineveh, Nineveh should never get a second chance. They should never get your grace. They should never get your compassion. Now, Jonah certainly wanted to have God's grace and compassion on him. But he didn't want God to give grace and compassion to Nineveh. So, in one sense, Jonah is saying, God, thank you for forgiving me. Thank you for forgiving my sin. Thank you for forgiving my disobedience. Thank you for forgiving me for running away from your will. Thank you for giving me grace and compassion and forgiveness. But I will never, ever, ever, ever forgive Nineveh. He was angry, he'd been hurt by some Ninevites. And maybe you're harboring some anger towards someone because they hurt you. And maybe what they did to you was really sick, maybe really harmful, really hurtful, maybe even life-changing. But the bottom line is this. God has forgiven you, and he's called you to forgive others. Listen, when Jesus was being hung on the cross, when Jesus was being mocked, When Jesus was being spit upon, what was his response? Take a look at this. The Bible says this. He says, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they're doing. And then in another place of Scripture, Jesus teaches this. If you forgive men when they sin against you, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. Folks, we have to be a forgiving people. We have to be a forgiving church, like Jesus. We have to be people that are full of grace and full of compassion, just like our Lord Jesus. So today, who do you need to forgive? Maybe there's a name coming into your heart and mind right now. Decide right now that you, today, are not going to anger, live with anger and harbor bitterness any longer. But you forgive them like Jesus forgave those who hurt him. But you know, as Jonah's sitting there wanting to die, he's not interested in giving any forgiveness. He's still angry. So God looks at Jonah and he speaks to him and God says this, take a look at this. Do you have good reason to be angry? In other words, Jonah, come on, man. 120,000 people just repented, just turned to me. And you're angry about that? You should be dancing in the streets and rejoicing. Come on, Jonah, let's celebrate what's happened here. But instead, the Bible says this. Jonah had gone out and sat down at a place east of the city, and there he waited to see what would happen in the city. So here's what Jonah does. He goes outside, he sits down, and he fumes. That's what he's doing, fuming. He's mad at everybody. He's mad at God. But then the Bible also says this, So the Lord God appointed a plant, and it grew up over Jonah to be a shade over his head to deliver him from his discomfort. And Jonah was extremely happy about the plant. So here's Jonah. What's he doing? Once again, running from God's will for his life. Once again, messing up. And what's God do? Once again, shows him grace. God caused a specific seed to produce a specific plant to grow immediately in a specific place to give shade to a specific person to ease the discomfort of a specific person who is in pain. Now, That is amazing grace. And all of God's people said, amen. That's amazing grace that God just gave to Jonah. Maybe say amen at home. Say it out loud at home, all right? All of God's people said, say it out loud. And you know what? Jonah was happy about God's grace. The Bible tells us he was happy about the plant. (laughs) He was happy for the shade. He was happy for that. But then in the morning, take a look at what God does. God sends a grub worm to chew up the plant, and the plant withers. And beyond that, when the sun rose, then God sent a scorching wind and blazing heat. So now Jonah not only wants to die, still die, but now he's got the blazing heat coming upon him, and the plant is gone. And he's there, and he's feeling faint. And he said to God, death is better to me than life. Listen close. Our God, our God of grace, knows everything about us. He knows when we need a plant to shade us, and so he sends something to relieve us. But he also knows when we need a raging wind, or raging waves, or a fish to trap us and hold us in place, or a worm, or a scorching wind, to get our attention, and to make us feel so uncomfortable that we will once again look to him, turn away from our disobedience and our sin, and follow his will for our lives. He knows what to send when. He knows what we need. And when God does things like that, listen, he's not being mean. When he sends a storm or a worm or a hot wind, he's being full of grace and compassion hoping those things will help you return to Him and look to Him and follow Him once again. He wants to bless you in every way now and for all eternity. He doesn't want you to live without Him now or for eternity, so He sends what is needed to help you return to Him. Now, we all love the God who provides salvation from a storm, even if it's in the belly of a fish. We love that kind of God. We love the God who provides shade from the hot issues of life. But sometimes when we run away, when we disobey, we need the God who loves us enough to do whatever it takes to bring us back to him. And all of God's people said, amen. You know, Jonah's in a mess right now. He's sitting there in the hot, scorching sun. He's hoping to die. And why is he hoping to die? Was it because God caused the plant to die? No. It's because Jonah is focused. Listen really close now. It's because Jonah is focused on nothing else but himself. Jonah is only focused on his life. He's only focused on his discomfort. He's only focused on his pain. You see, it's all about his life. It's just all about him. So this morning, here's my closing question to you. Here it is: Is life all about you? Is life just all about you? Or is your life also about others? So Jonah's lying there in the ground. He's in this fetal position because he's lost his precious, comforting plant. He's buckled over thinking about nothing but himself, and then God speaks this to him. Take a look at this. Then the Lord says to Jonah, you had compassion on the plant. I mean, Jonah, you had great love and happiness about this plant for which you did not work, which you did not cause to grow, which came up overnight and perished overnight. And the word goes on to say, should I not have compassion on Nineveh the great city in which there are more than 120,000 persons who do not know the difference between their right and left hand, as well as many animals? Jonah, should I not have compassion on people, other people? In other words, Jonah, life is not just about you. Life is also about Nineveh. Life is also about others who need to know me and have eternity with me. So what is our Nineveh today? If we want to bring this whole message home, what is our Nineveh today? When you walk out of your front door this week and you lock eyes with a neighbor, that is your Nineveh. It's God's will for you to go to those people. So what is God's will for you and me in our Nineveh? He wants you and me to go to them. He wants you and me to show to them his grace, his love, his forgiveness, his compassion. And they might be wicked and violent and living the kind of lives you would never want to live. Totally outside of God's will. But God is calling us to go to them and show them love and grace and compassion. You see, life is not just about us. Life is also about Nineveh. Now, can you imagine what would happen if our church family, what could happen if our church family said, God, we're not going to run away from your will anymore. But God, instead, we're going to go to our Nineveh. We're going to go to our community. We're going to go to our, our city. We don't care what it costs. But God, we're going to go to our city, and we're going to show them your love, your grace, your kindness, your forgiveness, your compassion. Whether we think they deserve it or not, God, we are committed to go to our Nineveh. Can you imagine the lives that could be changed? Folks, life is not about us. Life is just not about us. Again, life is not just about us. So listen close. God put us on this earth to change eternity. That's why we're here. If you you want to boil it all down, we are here to change eternity. We're here to take others into eternity with us. That's God's bottom line will for us to bring into eternity, along with all of us, everyone that we can, To help build God's eternal family. So the question for you today is this. Will you let God use you to bring others into an eternal relationship with Him? That's His will for you. Will you let God use you whether you like the place He calls you to, whether you like the people that He calls you to, will you let God use you to make an eternal difference in their lives? You see... Once again, life is not just about us. Life is also about others. As I close today, I'm going to encourage you, as you sit in your homes or wherever you are, to just bow your heads with me, and I'm going to pray. And the first prayer I'm going to pray is about us making a commitment to let God use us, that we're not going to run from his will, but we're going to let God use us in our Nineveh, in our city, And if you'd like to make that commitment today, pray this prayer. Just bow your heads where you are. Repeat it after me. It goes like this. Father God, today, I commit to let you use me to bring others into an eternal relationship with you. Whatever you call me to do, wherever you call me to go, I will not run away from you. I commit today to obey you. Lord, use me, use me. Now, if you're watching today, you've tuned in and you've not yet asked God into your life, I want to encourage you to pray this prayer because God is full of compassion. No matter what you've done, no matter where you've been, God can give you compassion, just like he had on the Ninevites. He can give you great love, great grace, great forgiveness, compassion, And you can spend, when you take your last breath, you can spend an eternity with Him in heaven. Not separated from Him, but you can spend eternity with Him in heaven. Pray this prayer with me. Repeat it after me in your heart. It goes like this. Lord Jesus, I confess that You are God. I believe that You lived, that You died on a cross to pay for my sins, but then You came back to life, and that You cause all who follow You to also live again in heaven. So I open the door of my heart to you. Forgive my sins. Come into my life. Make me pure and give me a new start. And as best that I know how, I will live for you. Dear Heavenly Father, for those who prayed that prayer, let them have just an awesome sense that something has changed in their life. Let them have the sense that you are present now inside of them, that you are now their Savior and your Lord, their Lord. I pray in Jesus' name. And all of God's people said, amen. May God bless you.